Lord, we're so thankful that our names are written in the book. And when that roll is called up yonder, Lord, we know we'll be there. Not because we're such righteous people, because we're sinners saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. We're saved, and we know we'll be up there because we made Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And we asked Him to come into our heart with all of our heart. We asked Him to come into our heart. So it wasn't just a head commitment. It was a heart commitment to you, Lord. And we know when that rule is called up yonder, Lord, our names are going to be written in the book of life. And we just thank you for that, Lord. We were headed for darkness, and you brought us into the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of light. Lord, there's no words to express how grateful we are. So, Father, let us serve you all the days of our life, Lord, doing the best we can, not because we're saved by good works, but because we are so gracious and humbled by your love for us that we want to obey you and serve you all the days of our lives on this earth and to help your kingdom come. To you be the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, everybody, this is for those, I know there's people that just tuned in. Um, so this is Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're, you're there. You know, you can go, if you're on our website, freedomchurchpb.org, you know, while you're there, you can just go to our, read our beliefs. You can find out our address. You can find our list of ministries. You can watch past services. And you can even give online should the Lord lead you. And, of course, these are times when all the churches need, need support to keep the gospel going forth. Because I don't know about you, but I, you pour your money into the gospel so that the gospel can speed through the world. And you just slow it down by holding back. You know, and I don't know about you, but I, I can't wait to get out of here. You know, when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Boy, what a glorious day. That'll be the second day, of the greatest day of my life. The greatest day was the day I received Christ as my Savior into my heart. The second greatest day is going to be when that trumpet sounds and we're gone. Praise the Lord. The world, you know, a lot of Christians don't even know that's going to happen. They call, call themselves Christians. Anyway, um, listen, you can give online, you know, go show to the give button. If you want to talk to me, you just add Joe at before our website, Joe at FreedomChurchPB.org. Joe at FreedomChurchPB.org. And our, my phone number, if you need me, is 561-601-1130. If you have any questions, you know, um, we'll, we'll be glad to answer them. Um, if you're online next week, invite a friend over to your house and have church if you aren't going to go to a physical church that you belong to. We're local in, in South Florida. We're in uh, Lantana, Florida, just south of, of West Palm Beach, just north of Boynton Beach. If you're on Ipaluxo, or if you're on I-95, you just go to Hypaluxo Road, head west a quarter mile, and we're on the right-hand side, which is actually Lantana. Boynton Beach is the other side of the street, you know, the south side of the street. Um, so um, that's, that's about it. Oh, yeah, we stream. You know, every Sunday at 10 a.m., so tune in next week at 10 a.m., and we'll be glad uh, to have you tuned in. And for men, if you're local, we have a men's Bible study every every Thursday, every Sunday morning or Saturday morning at 9 a.m. I don't know where I'm at today, you know. Anyway, 
Uh, God bless you there. And um, I'm Pastor Joe. I also have to repeat this again for those online. I wrote a book called About Face. It's a wake-up call for the church. It's talking about uh, being a soldier of Christ, only we use a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, regular soldiers use ammunition that kills. We use the sword of the sword of the Spirit, which brings life. Oh, praise God. Isn't that beautiful? God brings life to people that are, are walking and in, in, that are dead, are really spiritually dead, and we bring them to spiritual life. God brings them to spiritual life through the Word of God that we preach to them, and that's our sword of the Spirit. So, listen, the books, you can go to Amazon, you can go to, to Barnes & Noble, you can go to Zulon, which I pressed the... Uh, I, uh, produced it through, you know, Zolon Press, which is, it's X-U-L-O-N, X-U-L-O-N Press. Or you can go Barnes & Noble and Amazon, and it's on sale right now. But in the back, there's a bunch of them. You're welcome to take them. If you want to give a donation, there's a box back there, $15.99. It's a suggested retail. But personally, for those who belong to this church or have ever come here, I'd rather just give you the book. And so you read it and find out, you know, wake-up call for the church. So we each wake up, just, you know, for, for we have a, a call to preach the gospel in all the world. So that's about it for announcements, thank God. I hate to do that every week, but it has to be done. Um, now I know what it was like when I was on, when I, being on a board to a church trying to cut the announcements down, you know, so we get to more of the Word of God. By the way, when you read this book, there is a lot of scripture in here, just so you know it. I even have a warning page. Let me read the warning. Words of warning. This book contains a great deal of scripture, and scripture will change your life and the way you live it. Not me. God, the Word of God. Listen, we're in Matthew chapter 14. Last week, I showed you we went through the seven parables of Christ, and I showed you so many of them, and what they actually mean. Well, we don't have time to go, go through that again. But this chapter is a good chapter. I mean, there's a lot going on in this chapter, and we're going to be in this chapter again next week where I'm going to cover the storms of life, you know, because Jesus is walking on the water in a storm. The disciples are scared to death. They're, they think they see a ghost. They're ready to go. Next week, we have a lot of study. I have a paperwork already prepared. There's, we're going to see three types of storms in our lives. We're going to see six reasons God allows the storms. We're going to also see four principles we can learn in the storm. And we will also see seven things about the storms of life. So, you know, it's going to be a powerful study. I have the paperwork printed out. For next week already, we're probably we're not going to get there today, but today is going to be more of a, a, line, a line by line teaching, you know, verse by verse. Since we're in chapter 14, we're going to cover hopefully the first 21 verses, and then we're going to go uh, 22 next week through chapter uh, through 38 or 32, I believe it is, uh, next week. 36 is actually. Listen, this chapter. It's about one year away from the cross. It's about one year away from the cross. And Jesus is going to spend a lot of time from this point on with his disciples. You remember, the reason why he gave the parables was because the, the Hebrews weren't listening. 
And he start, began to speak in parables so that anybody who has an open heart can understand it. And they were, weren't open-hearted. Even though Jesus performed 11 miracles in chapter 8, 9, and 10, 11 miracles right before their eyes, they just were so hard-hearted, they couldn't understand that he was expressing who he was. He was giving himself an ID. I am Jehovah Jireh. I provide for you. I am the, the God Almighty. You know, I can, I can raise the dead. We went through all, all that, and it's, we don't have time to go through it again. But Matthew is a beautiful gospel on, on, on the, depthness, the depth of the scriptures as it's done. And you couple it with the other synoptic scriptures and even John's scriptures, and you just see more beauty added to the Word of God. So we're one year away from the cross. Jesus now has switched over, really, to, to, uh, to train his disciples. He has one year left to train the disciples. And today you are disciples of Christ. And we are to be trained by the, the, the teachings of the Word of God here. And we're going to learn a lot of stuff from this chapter. So then the chapters 14 through 20, we're going to see Jesus training his disciples. And you are a disciple and you are going to be trained by the next, next chapters that we're in. Jesus is, is very uh, exhausted. He just learned, he's going to learn of John's murder. He's going to have mental exhaustion. He has physical exhaustion because he is, he is spending a night in prayer. After a long days of ministry, he's spending a night in prayer. Uh, in prayer. And he's, he's, uh, he's exhausted physically and mentally. And after he's, he comes back, he's actually mobbed by a bunch of people, over 5,000 men, which makes it probably 10 to 12,000 if you count women and children. But he never loses his compassion. He's beat up, he's exhausted, he's mentally, physically exhausted, but he has not lost his compassion. And that's something we've got to learn as, as we're in Christian ministry, not to lose our compassion as we, as we preach the God to the gospel. We have to be compassionate about the people that we're preaching to. This whole world that doesn't know Jesus according to the scriptures and according to the, the word of God and according to the words of Christ himself is lost and they're heading to hell if they don't receive the, the sacrifice of the Son of God who died on the cross for them. And they say, well, there's only one narrow, it's a narrow way to heaven. We learned that in chapter 7. The way to, to, the, to the heaven is narrow. And the way... The way to, to destruction is broad. The Lord told us this in advance because mankind thinks he's going to work his way to heaven. You're not going to work your way to heaven. You cannot work your way to heaven. Your righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. That's told to us in, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, 18. It's told to us in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's our righteousness. We're made righteous by Christ. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's how you're made righteous. Adam's sin was passed on to all men. It was imputed to all men. Jesus' righteousness is imputed to men that receive him as their Savior. And our sin was imputed to Jesus as he hung on the cross. And for all of those who accepted Jesus as their Savior, your sins were wiped out. The, 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 uh, 
The handwriting against you was taken away. Your sins have been forgiven. They've been thrown as far as the east is from the west. They've been thrown into the scene of forgetfulness, and God doesn't remember them anymore. So when you go to prayer tomorrow or today and you say, God, remember this, and he's going to say, oh, what? I don't remember that because he forgave you. It was you that remembers that. You know, we got to remember that. He has forgiven us and he has forgotten it because he chooses to forget it. So we're going to read, you know, the first 21 verses in this chapter. Okay? I got a bigger print Bible here, so I can hopefully read a little clearer. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, chapter 14. At, this, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch, this is Tetrarch actually is Herod Antipas, just so you know. Tetrarch means one fourth, and Herod Antipas inherited one quarter of the kingdom from his father, okay, Herod the Great. And Herod Philip, we're going to see also, he has also inherited one-fourth of the kingdom. At this time, Herod the Tetrarch, Antipas, heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. Therefore, these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison. We're stepping back in time here. Okay? For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitudes because they counted him a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before him and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, given, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was worried with sorrow. Nevertheless, because of his oath and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then the disciples came and took the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, he, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them. He healed the sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Then they said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them to me here. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled 
and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. So, at that time, Herod Antipas, you know, had heard the report of, about Jesus. And, and he's saying to himself, this is John the Baptist, because he killed him about two years ago, okay? He said, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. Therefore, these powers are at work in him. You know, I don't know how he came up with that conclusion except fear. You know why? Because John the Baptist never did a single miracle. Did you know that? John the Baptist never did a single miracle. But he's counting that Jesus is, is, is John the Baptist, and he's bringing all these miracles when John never did a miracle. John just preached repentance and baptized people in the waters of repentance, which is something the church needs to hang on to today and every day. We need to repent constantly, you know, because we are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. Even when we want to do right, we don't do right. Paul even struggled with that. In chapter 7, I believe, of, of uh, Romans, Galatians 5 tells us the flesh wars against the spirit, the spirit wars against the flesh, so that we don't do what we want to do because we gravitate towards evil. Jesus even said to the disciples, you know, he said, your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak, and that's the truth. We don't want to sin, but our flesh just overpowers our spirit sometimes. And our job is to keep that at a minimum. Now, here's Herod the Great. He, Jesus is very popular at this time. Now, Herod Antipas is the son, as I mentioned earlier, of Alexander, Herod the Great. And he inherited one-fourth of the kingdom. And so did his brother, Philip. You know, Herod Philip is his name. And Philip's wife was Herodias, and obviously things are happening like happened in this wretched, disgusting world today. You know, Herod Antipas steals his own brother's wife. Now, first of all, we all know that that's against Scripture. But he steals his wife. And the daughter who danced for for uh, Herod, uh, the Herod Antipas, is the daughter of Philip. This is his niece that's going to dance with him and dance for him. And she's actually going to be really doing a very sensual, almost a striptease-type dance to tempt Her Herod. He said, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. John's been dead for a couple years. All these things are being reported to Herod, and he's thinking John the Baptist has risen from the dead. He didn't want to kill John because of the crowd, but he really wanted him dead. You're going to see that as we re read through this passage. Herod fears Jesus is John resurrected. So, remember, Herod, we've got to remember this, Herod is an Edomite. An Edomite are the sons of Esau. This battle was going on all the time between the sons of Esau and, and God's chosen, Isaac. Verses 3 through 5, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison, or stepping back in time, for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because she had said to him, because John had said to them, 
it is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitudes because they counted him to be a prophet. John, listen, John the Baptist is still popular two years later. It's at least two years later. And John the Baptist is still popular. People are upset that John the Baptist was killed. And Herod had a perfect excuse. He blamed it on his, his daughter-in-law, or his, his niece, really, his, his, uh, his niece, his brother's daughter. He blamed it on her. You know, that's, that's uh, pretty horrible for a politician to do. That's what politicians do. They do. They just turn things around so that they look good and nobody else. Okay, Herod put him in prison for the sake of Herodas, his brother Philip's wife. And Herod Antipas and Herodas are actually parallels of Ahab and Jezebel in the Bible. You could liken these two, you know, right to one another. And you know Ahab and Jezebel were horrible, horrible people. The spirit of Jezebel is the worst spirit you can even find in a church. It, can, it just about has everything evil attached to it. John said it's not lawful. He's pointing out sin. Do you understand that? Your pastors are supposed to point out your sin. We're sinners. We need to repent. You don't go to church. And, you know, God is a God of love, yes. He's also a God of justice. And we are sinners, and we fall short of God's glory. You've got to remember God, yes, God is love, but he's also a God of justice, and he's going to do what's exactly right. He provided a scapegoat he, for us, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. All we've got to do is look to him, and you are saved. You don't have to do anything but believe. Simple as that. And believe isn't just, oh, yeah, I believe. I believe Jesus is raised from the dead. No, it's like, I believe. He walked from that tomb. He rose that, that Sunday. You know, wait till you get to the study on, um, in Matthew on Resurrection Sunday. It's, it's, it can't be denied. Let's put it that way. Even history, even, even uh, Josephus tells us, tells us that Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't say, they said he rose from the dead. He said, he said he rose from the dead. Listen, John was born to preach repentance of sins, and he spoke out right here to Herod. He didn't let his, his he's, the, he's the big honcho, he's the king. Well, he really wasn't a king anyhow, by the way. You know, he just asked uh, uh, the Caesar of Rome, I forget his name, Cal, begins with a C, you know, he asked him if he could be called king. He really wasn't a king. He was born to preach repentance, and that's what John did, and he didn't stop when he stood before Herod the Great. And neither should men of the, that are in the pulpit stand, need to stand against, you know, sin within the church. You get it out. You don't flaunt your sin in church. You tell them to repent of their sin. So you can't have, you know, churches that... that uh, Cater to certain sins. You're supposed to repent of sin. All sin. Leviticus 18, verse 16, and verse chapter 20, verse 21 says, It's a sin to marry your brother's wife. That's the Mosaic law. It was against the Mosaic law to marry your brother's wife. I mean, that's just common sense. 
He wanted to put him to death because of it. You know, I'm sure Herodias gave him a lot of trouble over that. We need to put him to death. We need to put him to death. But he didn't. He put him in prison. And then until he was trapped into doing it, and that was a, a, a plan devised by Herodias and her daughter. We learn that, that Herodias had a great hatred for John the Baptist, according to Mark chapter 6. And she was going to trick him using her own daughter to get John killed. John, I mean, Herod also wanted him dead, but he feared the people. He feared the people. Here's what, here's what Proverbs 29, 25 says. The fear of man brings a sneer. Trust in the Lord and be safe. This was Herod's snare. He got caught into it because, you know, because of his unrighteousness and his fear. Because of this vow on his birthday, you know, I know the scriptures say birthday, but it really the Jews didn't celebrate birthdays back at this time. It could have been the day he was called to into his position, an anniversary of the day he was called into his position. But they do say it's the birthday. In, in the different versions of the Bible. Um, but because of this daughter, he could blame it on them. And he, he knew that John, John the Baptist was even still popular two years later. So here it is, verse 6 and 7. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. This is the daughter of Herodias. You can find out her name is Salome if you study the scriptures. Her, her, she's a teenage girl, and obviously she has been raised by an evil mother and an evil father, and now her stepfather's evil, and she is, guess what, evil. She's evil. The apple don't fall from the tree. Mother like mother like daughter. That's just the way it is, unfortunately. It's his stepdaughter. I mean, not his stepdaughter, his niece, actually, that's, that's, um, that, that she is. She's actually his niece. And she danced before them because there were guests at the party. There were nobles. According to Mark chapter 6, there were nobles. There were high officers. There were chief men of Galilee present there. These were important people, political establishment there. And Herod was pleased with this sensual striptease dance. It aroused men. You know, these kind of things arouse men to stupidity. They go to the, the, these places they call gentlemen's club, which is not a, it's a perversion club. You know, they call what a gentleman, a, you know, uh, they call a pervert a gentleman, which is wrong. We're to stand up against this world. We need to stand up against these kind of things. You know what? This girl pleased Herod so much, and obviously the, all the guys there, you know, and, and aroused the men to stupidity. Here's what Proverbs 7.22 says. He who goes after her immediately as an ox led to the slaughter. That's, any man that goes after a prostitute or anything like that is like just like an ox led to the slaughter. That's stupidity. That's stupidity. 
Proverbs 26, 26 says, For on account of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. <laughs> Men, you think you're strong? No, you aren't. Not if you bow to that kind of stuff. Think of Samson. Think of Samson. There's an illustration in Scripture. You know, strongest man, you know, that, that they say, you know. And I'm telling you right now, Samson was just a little guy. They draw him as a big muscular guy like the Hulk Hogan. He's not a Hulk Hogan. You know what, if he looked like Hulk Hogan when he took or tore off the gates to the city and carried him up the hill, you know, they would have said, boy, is he strong. But if a guy like me went up there and tore the gates off and carried him two miles up the hill, they'd say, where does he get that strength? It has to be from God. You know, Samson was, he was strong, but he was reduced to a loaf of bread by Delilah, a prostitute that he wanted. Man learned, you know, man today just still hasn't learned these things in their lives. Herod then, therefore, goes to the slaughter like a loaf of bread. He has no guts whatsoever to stand up against her. He would actually prefer to murder than to lie. I don't know about you, but if I had a choice between a lie and a murder, if I had to sin, I'd choose to lie. Because I wouldn't want to murder somebody. You know, I told you in Vietnam, I almost did that. I was this close. My M16 was that far away from between Papa Zahn's eyes on the ground. I did not shoot, thank God. I'm telling you, it's a stupid vow. You remember one of the judges of Israel named Jephthah? He made a stupid vow. He said, you know, after he conquers the Amorites, he said, you know, whatever comes out of my house first, I'll offer a sacrifice to the Lord. He comes back home. His daughter comes out of the house with a tambourine. He made a vow before God to slaughter his, to offer as a sacrifice his daughter. Now, if you study the scriptures, I don't want to put a dull thing on this. If you study the scriptures, a lot of uh, uh, great men of God, what can I say, um, they, they agree that he, it was, he was a righteous in God because the scriptures say so, so he offered an animal in her place. But she went off into the mountains for two months or something, and, and that and, and then she came back and it was slaughtered. But the scholars disagree on this. And I don't know which it is. All I know is if I did it, I wouldn't slaughter. I mean, since the Mosaic law was, all, was you know, God's law was already there, not the Mosaic law, but God's law was already there that you shouldn't sacrifice to Molech, you know, your child sacrifices. I don't believe he really did it. I don't believe that because he was a, he was said to be, in Judges chapter 11, a man that, that was of God. Okay, and I can't see that. But anyway, that's a whole other study in itself. That's, listen, he's blinded by his pride. Herod is blinded by his pride. To, he wants to impress, you know, um, his constituents. Even though he was not really a king, he got blinded by his pride. He's the king. People were calling him king. And he just requested this of Emperor Colgelia of Rome, who was the, could be the head, head uh, Caesar, to be called king. So he was, 
He was uh, called king because of that. But you know what? A year later, he was banished from being king because he really failed big time. Matthew chapter 14, verse 8 through 12. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be done and given to her. So he went and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. You know that word, give me, in the Greek tense. She says, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. Here's what she was saying. The Greek tense tells her, give me the head of John the Baptist right here, right now. Not next week, right now. That's the tenses of the Greek. Right here, right now. And the king was sorry. He wasn't repentant. He was sorry. Same thing Judas made his mistake. He wasn't repentant. He was sorry. You can be, you've a lot of people that think they repent, they're just sorrowful. And sorrowful is not repentance. Let me read you a verse of scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. See the difference? Paul is not rejoicing that you're sorrowful, church. He's, he's, he's glad if you were made sorrowful to the point that you get on your knees and bow your heart before God and be repentant. And repentant means to turn away from. Repent. The church has not repented. There's so much sin in the church today. The world looks at the church and says, when you repent, we'll repent. We're supposed to be the example. And we're not. We're not. A lot of, I'm not, don't get me wrong, not every church, but a lot of churches are just wrong. They're out of, out of, they're a mess. The point of repentance according to the will of God. That's the will of God. God wants you to be sorrowful to the point of repentance. The altar should be filled every day. I'll tell you what, I came in here this morning. I came over here and sat down and repented. I came over here, sat down and repented. I sat in the back and repented. I went in the office and repented. Because I'm a wretched, disgusting sinner, and I don't belong in the presence of God except by the blood of Christ Jesus that washes my sin away. And I always tell everybody, there's one thing that God can't do. He cannot see your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. So when he looks on me, he sees the blood of Christ, and he says, your name is written in the roll up yonder. Praise God. Beautiful, beautiful. Listen, not repentance, church, not, not sorrow, church, repentance. I'm sorry about that. Herod did want to kill John. It's written in Matthew 14, 5. We just read it. He said he did, did fear the people. He wanted John dead, but he feared the people. Mark 6 even tells us the same thing. Herod hated, but res- 
respected him as a holy man. So he's backed in a corner. He's led as a lamb, uh, an ox to the slaughter because of a dance of a sensuous young teenage woman. Girl, I should say. Herod is an insult to leadership. If we have leaders like that in America today, they're an insult to this country. Because of his oaths, and because of those who sat with him, Herod commanded it to be given to her. John's head, right here, right now. He was moved by an act of fear, as I said earlier. He'd rather be a murderer than a liar because of the people who stood before him. A true leader in the government in the world, in your business, in your church, should never, should always do which is right, which is right, but never out of fear. Never out of fear. Verse 10, so he sent. It was in the present tense, so he sent them to cut off John's head. And Herod himself was afraid to face John, and he didn't go. He just had it done. He had John beheaded in prison because his hatred would consume him. And he's guilty of John's head. His head was brought to them on, her on a platter and given to the girl, John's head is given to the girl, and the body of, of John was buried by the disciples. You see an evil mother, you see an evil daughter. You know what? If your mom or dad, aunt or uncle does something evil, your job is to not do evil, to turn away from it, to get away from it. So he's beheaded in prison. Three reasons why the death of John is unwarranted and tragic. Number one, you know, it's, it's premature. John had a lot of work to do. Repentance is, uh, is, is going to go on forever. John had a lot of work to do. A lot of people still wanted to be, repent and be baptized in the water of repentance. But because John was arrested, it wasn't done. His death is disgraceful because it was mutilated. His body was mutilated. It was unjust. Because they killed him because he preached God's word. Imagine the disciples of John. They are brokenhearted, disappear, you know, heartbroken. They immediately, of course, go to see Jesus. You got a mother's prompting, a daughter's insistence, a king's sorrow, and John loses his head. Remember what the scriptures say? There was none greater than John the Baptist. Those are the words of Jesus Christ himself. That means if you think Elijah was the greatest prophet, you're wrong. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets, and Jesus said there is no one in the kingdom of heaven greater than John the Baptist. No one.
Jesus now shows his humanity, and he's grieving for John in verse 13 and 14. Then Jesus heard it. He departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. And when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw the multitude. He was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Remember I said in the beginning of this, Jesus was exhausted. We're, we're, we're coming back into time again, the, the instant, the, the time right now. You know, we're coming out of the period where John was beheaded. We're coming to Jesus hears about it, and Jesus is grieving. He departed from there by boat. He just sent a long days in ministry. He's, he's departed and to a deserted place, and he prayed all night is the assumption here. And he's grieving, and he's praying because it had a great impact on Jesus because he was the greatest prophet. And he, happened, he was the one crying at the voice of the wilderness, repent, come. You know, the, the king is coming, the king is coming. He was the greatest prophet of all. He was the forerunner of Messiah. Even the Jewish people today miss this. But yet the scriptures tell us in Malachi that, that, that the forerunner's coming before the king. That's what they did in those days. You heard me say it from this pulpit. Before the king went into any of his cities, he sent a forerunner. And they would yell out, the king is coming, the king is coming. They'd put their house in order, they'd put their best clothes on because the king is coming. Well, that's what's happening here. The king is here. That's why, you know, the kingdom of heaven is on earth. Well, because Jesus is on earth. His impact on Jesus was extraordinary. He had a unique bond with John. They're bound by blood. Remember, they're really cousins. But they never, John the Baptist didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. But they're cousins. Mary, you know, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth got pregnant in her old age. As Zechariah ministered as a high priest inside the Holy of Holies. They were bound by blood. They were cousins. They were also bound by the scriptures. He's the forerunner of the Messiah. They were bound by the same opposition. The Pharisees and the scribes were, were opposing him everywhere he went. They were bound by the message also. You know what John's Baptist's message was? Repent. You know what Jesus' message was? Repent. But the church don't even preach it today for the most part. You come to this church, you will hear repentance. If, if the church doesn't exist tomorrow, that's, if it's because of repentance, there's a great reward in heaven for, for this church and those that, that come here and those that preach here and teach here. Listen, John, John preached repentance, Matthew chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus preached repentance. Let me, let me list some of the times. Luke 13, 5, Matthew 4, 17, Mark 1, 15, Revelation 2, 16, Revelation 2, 22, Revelation 3, 3, Acts, Acts 3, 19, Peter preached repentance. Acts 2, 38, Peter preached repentance. So we see major players, the forerunner of Christ, repent. Christ, repent. Peter, the, the post-runner of Christ, repent. It's repent, church. 
That's why I wrote this book. It's a wake-up call for the church. It's time to repent. It's time to return. It's time for the revival to come back on the land. Everybody wants revival. Everybody wants revival, but nobody's willing to repent. Why is that? We need to repent. They're bound by the Spirit of the Lord, too, by blood, by Scripture, by opposition, by the message, repent, and by the Spirit of God. John was the closest thing to appear that Jesus ever had in this world. The multitudes heard, and they followed Jesus. They knew they were in a lost condition, and they followed Jesus. Jesus still compassionate for these people after a long day of ministry, after staying up all night and fervently praying in prayer. He comes down to the crowd, a great multitude's there, and he has compassion on them. Even if you're burnt out in your churches, pastors, elders, deacons, lay people, if you're burnt out in your ministry, do not lose compassion for your people. Jesus demonstrated that for us. Compassion was never an inconvenience for Jesus. He was always compassionate. Even on the cross, he was compassionate. Remember what he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He never cried out, you're unfair, God. I'm really miserable right now. The world stinks. Not Jesus. He still remained compassionate to the people, and he still carried out his ministry. He saw the great multitude, 10,000-plus people, as he moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. He healed their sick. He puts his mourning aside, and he heals. He goes on with ministry. No matter what position or what storm you're in that we're going to talk about next week, you know, you still need to, to stay focused and be compassionate. It should never was an inconvenience for Christ, and it should never be an inconvenience for us. Somebody calls you up on the phone and needs help, you need to give it to them. Ask them how you can help. People are not an inconvenience to Jesus. He loves you. He loves you. Now we see the feeding of the 5,000. I read it to you. When it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy food. You know what? You see the compassion of the disciples here. They actually have compassion for the crowd, a crowd of people. Jesus is winning them over. But Jesus wants to show even greater compassion. So he, they get the message. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said to them, bring them to me. And then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them and, and the loaves to the disciples and gave them to the disciples, 
And his disciples gave them to the multitude. And they ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were five thousand men, plus the women and the children. Notice the disciples are learning compassion. They actually are compassionate on the crowd. They're a little lower level than Jesus, but they're learning compassion, and that's something we as an individual. If you're a teacher of the Word of God, you better be compassionate. Otherwise, hang up your teaching. You've got to be compassionate. Somebody comes to you with a broken heart, you've got to be compassionate. I got two calls yesterday, people hurting with compassion. You deal with it, even if you don't feel like dealing with it. This is the only miracle, by the way, the feeding of the 5,000 appears in all four Gospels. You know what that tells you? God wants you to know. God wants us to know what he's saying here and what he's doing here is important. It's the only miracle. Well, this miracle is, is reported in all four Gospels. There are other ones, but this is one God wants you to know when he has to tell us four times. It made a depression, an impression on the disciples. It's too good to be left out of the gospel, so it's put in there. After a long day, healing, Jesus is healing. After a night of prayer and mostly probably fasting, he went out to the crowd, and a child gives him his lunch, says the gospel of John. A child gave him the lunch. When it was evening, the disciples came to him saying that. He says, send the disciples away. It's our mission statement is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world, really, not just preach the gospel, but to make disciples. And a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you go out this world door here today and you still act like you were when you came in, you know, then you aren't a disciple unless you were a disciple when you came in. You're a disciple because you go out the door and you practice what you just learned in church, but you just learned from the Word of God. Okay? We are all, all represented in them, sending them away, because that's what we would have did. We wouldn't have turned fish. I would have never thought of, you know, feeding 5,000 men with two fish, two loaves of bread, and, well, five loaves and two fish. I would have never thought of it. Go there into all the world. You know what? I've been approached by people in the church, several people in the church, and they want to know why a church that's really needing to stay in operation, why we would, as a leadership, tell you to support the missionaries so that, so that we would double their what was given to give it to the missionaries. Do you realize what a church is supposed to do? It's supposed to reach out to the lost. Freedom Church only has one outreach ministry, and that ministry is to support missions. Because right now, we don't feed the lost like we did years ago. 
That was closed down because the doctor closed the ministry. This is our only reach-out ministry, and we as people need to reach out. And you know, what, you know why you double it? It's called faith. It's called faith. Your pastor has faith that God's going to meet that need. Okay? And it also projects Freedom Church into reaching out to a lost world. I had Matt up here last week, and I told you, he was sent to Brazil, mostly supported by us, to preach, to teach Portuguese-speaking missionaries the English language. So instead of sending one missionary, he had like 15 people go through these classes. So instead of sending one missionary, you, by supporting a Freedom Church, by supporting an outreach ministry, you ministered to 15 different missionaries that are going out into the world. So not only you supported one missionary, and now 15 are going out. You see, I hope I, please don't be offended by what I say. I want you to know what my heart is up here. I want the whole world to be saved. I've been on many missionary trips, many missionary trips, and I loved every one of them, and they keep my focus. And I come out of Christian and Missionary Alliance Church, which is very strong in missions. And I want Freedom Church has to reach out, otherwise we become a social club. I'm not going to make us a social club. We need the church ministry. You need to reach out and support your churches, even on your Internet. You support your churches so that they can put missionaries out there. Because, you know what, we even have missionaries to the United States, and we need it. We're the most saturated country with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I'll tell you what, as I said last week, you know, West Palm Beach is considered, I think it's number six or 13, are the most churchless cities in the country. And we got all these mega churches around. How can that be? We need to go from this place, preach the gospel, pass out a track when you give a give a give a tip to your waitress after church today. Give her a track. Talk to her about Jesus. I don't do that all the time. I'm as guilty as probably all of you or most of you. I'm just saying, we, we've still got to get out there. We've got to do it. This is, this is an outreach ministry of Freedom Church, uh, my, myself and Liz. And it's you that help support that because, you know, you, you uh, give me a, a paycheck every week. So thank you. It's, this is not to uh, offend anybody. This is brought to your attention so that you would know your pastor wants you to have faith as I want to have faith by doing that. And number two, we're reaching out to a lost world. That's our only outreach ministry. We shouldn't be a social club. Churches are not supposed to be social clubs. You're supposed to be making disciples. Um, so compassion is necessary for ministry, and that's what Jesus is having compassion on the crowd. He knows by being compassionate to them, people will see it, understand it. And they, too, will become compassionate. Do you know that Jesus, it says here that Jesus looked up to heaven and he prayed? Do you know that Jesus, six times when he prayed, he looked up to heaven? You know, myself included, a lot of times when I pray, I 
close my eyes. Jesus never gave us that assumption. He actually said, you know, when he prayed and blessed them, he looked up to heaven and did it. And a lot of times when I'm in the fervent prayer ministry, uh, what can I say, um, um, helping somebody in ministry, you know, helping them be delivered in some, some ways, I keep my eyes open because I'm looking for s- different stuff, and it's, it's more effective that way. So, you know what, don't be afraid to keep your eyes open when you pray. Don't be afraid to, because that's why Jesus gave us that example. Um, they said, we have only five loaves and two fish, okay? Uh, John tells us the little boy gave him his lunch. He said, to bring it to me, verse 17 and 19, you know. And Jesus took the fish and had the people... Sit down on the ground. If you go to the other Gospels, he put them in groups of 50. He sat them down on the ground. He brought, they brought the fish and the bread to him, and Jesus began to break the bread, okay, and distribute it to the disciples. He gave it to the disciples, and the disciples distributed it to the people. The, the tense of the verb used for breaking bread is continuous action. Continuous action. Jesus actually took the bread with a continuous action. You know, broke it, put it in the thing, broke it, put it in the thing, and he never ran out of bread. And the same with the fish. You know what, the, you know what Jesus is showing you here? He is the God of creation. He created fish and bread right in his hands, right before 12,000 people. And the Pharisees are wondering who he is. He kept on breaking. Jesus here is IDing himself as the God of creation. And remember I told you, the, the Trinity is seen in the first three verses of the Bible. Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 3, 1 through 3. We see the Spirit of God hoovering over the, over the water. We see God creation. God created the heavens and the earth, verse 1. The Spirit of God hoovered over the, bre- over the waters. And then God spoke. And Jesus is the spoken word of God. Jesus is the one that spoke things into existence. You can back that up with Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 and several other verses. Jesus, well, all things were made by him and for him, and he holds all things together. He's he's the God of creation. He's from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to Revelation chapter 22. He's the God of creation, and he's your God. Oh, man, what a great, great God we have. But you know what the important part is for the church? Jesus created, but we are the distributors. God created a plan of salvation. We received it, and now we're supposed to give it out. We are the, the, we're not the producers. We are the distributors of the Word of God. We're all supposed to distribute the Word of God to everybody. 
So that's the thing that he's teaching his disciples. Jesus has the power over human need. He showed his disciples and he showed us in this chapter. He also shows us that we're not the producers. He is, but we are the distributors of the word of God to take it into the world and distribute it to people. And that's why churches need an outreach ministry, not to play bingo, not to, not to uh, you know, play checkers or not to have a lunch. It's uh, distribute the word of God. You come to church, you get trained in the word, you take the word to the world and distribute it to lost people. And that's what I told you. Soldiers fight with weapons that kill. We fight with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, which brings eternal life to people. And number three, in God's service, you will always have an abundance. And I don't see anybody in this church that's lacking. We live in America. And we are supposed to, and I think we still are, the nation that sends out the most missionaries. But we're being closed in fast by countries like Brazil and other countries. You know why? Because you help support those ministries in Brazil. So don't stop giving. As Freedom Church is not going to stop giving. I'm not going to put, it's my own conviction that the board outrules me, that's fine. But I'm not going to give this landlord more money to put it in his pocket if it's supposed to be going to the missionary. And we'll see how God does with that, but I want you to know we're a church of faith. We saw God move a man that wanted us out of this church two years ago. He wanted us out of this church two years ago. I think it was January 2020 or 2021. He wanted to make this a liquor store. You know what happened to him before Christmas? Before our throwout date of January, God threw him out. You know what this landlord wants to do with this place? One of his options? He wants to make it a gambling casino. I told the landlord right out, I said, I think God would choose the church. <laughs> you know? So listen, pray, pray, pray. You need to support your church. I very seldom call out for that. I'm still, if, whether, if you donate a million dollars to this church tomorrow, I'm still not going to give him 500 bucks. We're going to be looking for a place to go because I want, I don't want a social club. I don't want you to be social clubs. I want you to be distributors of the Word of God. And I think God wants that. So let's do it. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name we come to you. We thank you for your beautiful, beautiful Word. Beautiful, Lord. And every time I read the Word of God, I see the beauty of the King of Kings and you, Father, the Lord of all lords. You're amazing. Thank you for forgiving us our sin. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we go from this place, May we be powerful distributors of your holy word to the people that you love, whether they're lost or saved. Let us bless everybody that we come to and have compassion for each and every one. And to you be the glory in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. I love you all.